everybody. Welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Hith Liday. I'm the managing editor for Addicted to Quack. It's a website. Joining me this week is one of the great ATQ writers, Kevin Phipps. How you doing? I am doing great. How are you this evening? Uh, not bad. Uh, we're recording a little early because uh, you're on the other side of the country. Um, uh, so maybe I'll get this podcast up in time to do something else, um, <laughs> like watching more of Jamari Codwell's film, which is like really awesome. Um, anyway, the uh, uh, you've been covering a bunch of different stuff uh, for the site. Uh, let's do segment one, potpourri. Um, <laughs> Anything to uh, avoid basketball. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I don't know why you don't like basketball, but it means that I assign you to weird, uh, like a, a weird mix of stuff. I mean, not that the sports are weird, but just that the mixture is weird. Um, the you covered uh, the softball's game against Army, um, like which feels like a, a million years ago, but was really like eleven days ago only. Um, uh, softball absolutely destroyed uh, the uh, the U.S. Army. Um, I mean, not the entire army they're just a bunch of uh <laughs> they're 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 officer candidates which means they'll never lift a finger outside of this game um and they barely yeah. lifted a finger in this game because oregon destroyed them um uh i mean ariel carlson hit three doubles in the same game like uh yeah mm-hmm. um, I, I i i i sure hope they uh they <laughs> i i they know how to operate a weapon better than they know how to operate bats because they didn't score a single run. Um, oh, no, they uh, got one. Oh, did they? I thought it was a shutout. Uh, no, it was a 15 1 final. Mercy ruled it in five innings. 12 1. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, no, uh, I don't know. There's not a whole lot more to talk about in this game. Like it was, it was actually uh, Oregon, even though they were in total command of this thing, like uh, this wasn't a run ruling, right? Like it's actually went all the way in the seventh because they didn't like crack it open until like that, that like six run seventh inning. Um, right. Something like that. Uh, are you talking about the army game? No, it was five yeah. innings. They had oh, no, nine, it was five innings. Uh, yeah, you're nine right. runs in the fifth else. inning. Yeah, yeah, it was. I'm confusing with the eight and no game in which they, the, despite the fact that it was eight and no, it wasn't a run ruling. Um, in although Oregon has now played two different eight and no games, like that's that's how far they are ahead of certain teams. Um, but yeah, no, they 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 shut down army in five. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I'm looking at the box score now. Yeah, yeah, just killed them. Okay, moving right along. Um, you let's see most recently for the site you covered uh the men's golf going to something called the prestige um which does sound very golf um uh uh interestingly the best performer for the ducks was their true freshman hugh adams yes uh, coming in extraordinarily scottish round. name so that's appropriate <laughs> well they invented the sport so um, yeah, and it was actually his uh, his first uh, his first appearance in the starting lineup. Yeah, you know, so uh, very very nice to see some young talent showcasing. And then also um, sophomore Aiden Kraft was uh, shot the same score in the final round as well. So young mm-hmm. talent on the on the Duck team. Um, you know, I don't know how deep you want to get it. You know, this was uh, kind of a rough start. They they had some bogeys coming out. Um, uh, but they managed to come back. Well, um, average, 
Owen Averett, who's been a really great golfer for Oregon over the years, had a weird outing. He was doing great to start out with, but then he bogeyed uh, uh, late uh, yes. on uh, on hole 13 and, and 17, which actually, you know, put him, you know, one over par, um, which is like that was unfortunate. Oregon probably could like if he stayed on track, uh, Oregon probably could have finished a little bit better. Um, with they wound up, fin- Oregon as a whole wound up finishing, I think, fourteenth. Uh, Tied for fourteenth with several other yeah. teams. Yes. Yeah, they were, they were the Greg Norman course, right? Correct. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody finished right around par, uh, with the exception of the, the, the fifth member of the team, Saul Hug, who finished like seven over. He, he had a rough, uh, rough going of it. Um, uh, you know, they've uh, they've got a couple more uh, uh, tournaments left in the season. They're um, two, both of which will be in, in Eugene. They've got Bandon Dunes and then the Duck Invitational in Eugene. Um uh, which will be interesting. We'll see if like home course advantage uh, uh, gets them anything. Um, but, you know, the, the Ducks are always, you know, strong in Pac-12 competition and, uh, you know, they're finished. So th- this will these will end the invitational and, uh, you know, part of their schedule. And then they will go into um, a Pac-12 competition um, uh, in which they always wind up duking it out with Stanford uh, for the you know, for the tournament championship, like this has always been the pattern with Oregon men's golf is that they like, you know, they, they kind of like mess around with the invitationals and then they get this like death match with Stanford. (laughs) So we'll see how that goes. And uh, for anyone that went to the waste management open, if I, if I remember correctly, I think the PAC 12 championships is being played at the same golf course. Um, I, I don't know if they'll be serving as much alcohol as they were at the waste management open. Oh God. Which they apparently had to shut down because like people were getting in trouble. Um, yeah, that's that's every I've been to that a few times uh as a spectator and as a sponsor. And uh yeah, it's wild. Uh yeah, I, I hear Coach Lanning was there as well. He was um, true. So moving right along to what appeared to be from your write-up, uh, one of the uh, your favorite articles I think you've written for the site, which was uh, Acro Tumbling, uh, started out their season um, with a pretty uh, thrilling comeback win over Hawaii Pacific, which is one of the powers of the sport. That is true. Um, and interestingly enough, you know, Oregon's Acro Tumbling team is actually the second-ranked team in the nation, which yeah. I I didn't even know until I was like, oh yeah, I'll write about Acro and Tumbling. Let me do a little deep dive. And uh, if you go into the the article, which I you know everyone always reads every article that we post, of course, um, there's some there's some excitement this season. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, they they've got their I, I mean their rival like their real rival in the sport is Baylor, which is what they've got um, coming up on, on, I think Sunday, the 25th, which I, I think I've assigned you to, or if I haven't, I'm going to, um, <laughs> you have uh, not yet, but I think I'll yeah. get that assignment. I, for those who aren't aware, <laughs> acrobatics and tumbling is sort of like, 
watching it is interesting it's sort of a, a combination of like the floor exercises from gymnastics with like if you've ever watched competitive cheer um or the movies bring it on um which don't, are like a blast don't. Uh, <laughs> uh yeah anyway it's a uh, uh it, it is a hoot like it is a an absolute blast to watch uh like the the floor routines the compulsories um and you um did a great job in in um uh, in, in getting the clips for the article and showing off, you know, a lot of the excitement. Hawaii Pacific um, get, uh, came out to an early lead um, and, and Oregon needed um, to come back uh, uh, for the victory. Yes. Uh, so <laughs> I don't want to go into a deep dive on scoring. So starts out with the uh, six element acro heat, um, which is acrobatic passes and then there is pyramids and tosses which are you know pyramids are kind of what you see the cheerleaders doing and tosses are like where they throw people up in the air so um it was uh it was kind of fun to watch you know i i don't even understand the scoring and i was a competitive cheerleader for years <laughs> but it's just like oh we're trailing hey we're we came back awesome uh <laughs> It's and I mean, it was like a last minute comeback. Oh, yeah. Like the, the, you know, they, they had to win in the, uh, uh, the team uh event. yeah. in the team event, right. Like they, the, the second to last, I think was the pyramid event, which like almost made up the deficit, but not quite. They were, they were still trailing at the end of the pyramid. Right. Correct. Um, and so then it was, you know, it was the finale, like the, the, the whole team thing, which is like this whole team routine, right? Like, and so you put the video of the whole routine up, like in your article and it's awesome. Right. And like the whole team, like the, you know, the, the whole team is performing and then down the sidelines, everybody's cheering for him. It's like, it's, yeah, it's rad. Um, so, so that was cool. And then the, 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 um, and then your article sort of has, because this was their season opener, you also spent um, a little bit of time in your articles uh, talking about like the season outlook um, and, and some of the, the new competitors for the team, like some of the new, uh, the freshmen. And, uh, and then also there was a coaching change, I think two years ago, right? Correct. For the Ducks? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, why don't you yeah, talk about they, that a little bit? They brought bit. in Taylor Sonara. Um, yeah, Taylor Cisnara, um, is now in her third year with the Ducks, um, mm -hmm. you know, and is kind of on a, a very sharp upward trajectory with the team. Um, last year they were in the NCATAs for the first time since, uh, 2019, they yeah. got the number two seed. Um, you know, they, uh, they've just been building and, um, you know, they, she's had three athletes with All-American honors. They had 16 Letterman. They had the 2022 Freshman of the Year in uh, Blessin McNorris. So it's it's just, it's fun to watch. I don't, you know, I... <laughs> Yeah, maybe I'm maybe I'm partial because I went to college on a cheerleading scholarship, but it's really fun to watch. And um, one of our former stars, Carly Novak, is now joining the squad um, as a coach, assistant coach. Yeah, she was with the team from 2020 to 2023. So, no, it's definitely cool to watch them like um, build because like coming out of the COVID year, like 2021 was not was sort of like a uh, you know mm -hmm. year for the team, and then like 2022. Um, was it was uh was a 
you could see them that they were doing better in, in 2022, but then 2023, they, yeah, they were really kicking butt. And then like, yeah, those was a pretty exciting opener. The, the 2025, um, or excuse me, the, excuse February, the 25th. February 25th competition against Baylor, which is like that. I mean, if they're not number one, they're number two in her, you know, licking their chops to try to, you know get you um you know that's it's usually like oregon you know competes real hard against baylor sometimes they beat them but then like then baylor comes back and snatches the championship at like oregon hasn't beaten baylor to win the championship yet but i don't know maybe this is their their year and it's like it's inevitable that they wind up having to beat baylor in order to get the championship so like this this competition coming up on on the 25th um which this year you know wait is one of is the year that it's one of the years that waco hosts it so they you know they got to go down to to texas to take on baylor um and uh so yeah we'll be covering that for the site definitely um all right uh let's take a break when we come back we'll talk some tennis So uh, both of the tennis teams have been in action pretty much every weekend and will continue to be um, through March. Um, and I think into the beginning of April as well, um, uh, when when uh, uh, when Pac-12 competition starts up. But they've been they've been doing sort of their out of conference sort of invitationals. Um, the uh, uh, and there's been quite a bit like they, they've they're they've almost been undefeated the uh the the only recent loss has been that the women dropped a, a match four to three to denver and i mean they almost won that like that one was a heartbreaker um like they split the singles three to three and and that one came down like the sixth singles was a two to one decision. Like I mean, if they had just won that one, they would have won it clean four to two. But then, so then it went to the doubles tiebreaker, and they lost. You know the doubles. But but then, man, I mean they 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 beat the women beat UC Santa Barbara. Um, uh, although that one was you know it was also pretty close. So. Um, and then the men, uh, the previous weekend, uh, they just smoked Seattle. Um, Seattle's not, not a great team. Uh, uh, not the university of Washington at Seattle, the university of Seattle, the private school. Uh, and they totally smoked Nevada as well. Um, uh, in fact, Nevada, I think had a forfeit. So there was, uh, I think they were shorthanded. Um, so then, uh, so they're like coming off a pretty good weekend. So then what you wound up covering was uh, the the women um, the women went to Boise State and played Boise State and then they also played Minnesota while they were in Boise. Do I have that right? Correct. Yeah. How'd that go? You know well, they uh, they won both setups. Uh, it was kind of a tale of two different uh, you know, rounds um, for Boise state. It was not ever really close. <laughs> was, um, they, they just, they came out of the gate, you know, uh, five out of six singles matches. Um, and then the, the doubles point um, for the tiebreaker. So basically just beat the pants off of Boise state. Yeah, um, the hosts right you know thank you host, <laughs> thank yeah, you for the use fun. of your facilities while we destroy you yeah yeah it's always fun always fun um and then 
Minnesota, future Big Ten rival. Um, we actually handed them their first loss of the season. Nice. Five two victory. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Which is now, like, let's stop for a second. The women's, the, the men's team has been doing very well. The women's team has like faced some struggles because they've been playing some really good teams. Like they played number one UNC and, and got destroyed. Uh, they they played a Charlotte team, which is pretty good and, you know, lost in a heartbreaker. Like, you know, they've had some heartbreakers, you know. Uh, uh, so, like, playing this Minnesota team, which was an undefeated team, like, you know, when I was looking at the schedule, I was like, oh, man, they got to play undefeated Minnesota. This is going to be a repeat of UNC. You know, they're going to get smoked again. And instead, you know, quite the opposite. Yeah. No, it's it's always nice to when the uh, to to face those teams on a neutral site, which I think is definitely something helpful for for any sport. Um, you know, even though we went beat yeah. the pants off boys in their home home uh, courts, but you know, we uh, we had a strong showing. You know, um, Tilda Jagari, whose name I'm going to butcher for the rest of the season, mm-hmm. um, actually had her first collegiate dual win. Uh, against Boise State, and then came back and just absolutely smashed <laughs> her uh, her opponent uh, against Minnesota, and then also freshman um, uh, Aparisi, another one just coming out two matches, two sets done. Yeah, uh, it, it's it wasn't ever close. I mean, the the one that was re- to me that was really interesting was uh, uh, Joe Yi Chan. Um, defeated uh, Iva Schmitz uh, from Minnesota. Schmitz is, is I think, maybe their best or their second best, Minnesota's best or second best. Um, I mean, it took, I mean, it, it, it took her three sets because she lost, uh, Chan lost the first one. Um, but if, first of all, uh, 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 Chan got beat uh, in Denver or against Denver. Like she, she'd been struggling a little bit, but, uh, she comes back after losing that first set to Schmitz, she comes back and just smashes her six to one and six to two in the next two sets. And like kind of sets the tone, you know, for, for the rest of the singles competition in which Oregon, like, you know, you're right. Aparisi wins in two and, and Jagaris, you know, wins in two, um, uh, you know, against both of the Sophia's for some reason, Minnesota has two different players named Sophia. Um, and, and like, yeah, well, I, I thought it was a real turnaround for Chan. Like, it was, you know, good for her. And then Oregon swept the doubles, you know, all, all three of the, the, the doubles competitions against Minnesota. Um, they wound up sweeping. Which is always fun. Yeah. Um, and then for men, um, the men also, it was a, kind of a tale of two matches. They they were behind the eight ball against Nebraska. Uh, the men were at home, day. right, though? They... Yes. Men hosted Nebraska and Portland State. Right. Um, and if I'm – normally it's it singles then determines if you're going to play doubles. It 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 looked to me like for some reason they decided to play the doubles first um, for the men. So uh, doubles, Nebraska takes the advantage two to one. 
uh, and then we we switch to the singles. Which means if Oregon's going to win, they got to win it clean. You know, if it goes yeah. to you know if they tie it in singles, they've lost. So yeah, so now they you know now they got to fight back. Um, and they were trade they traded matches. First four, uh, Oregon, Nebraska, Oregon, Nebraska, and then on courts five and six, Leon Vanderzand and Len Lukeman just destroyed them. Just nope, this is mine. And and those were close matches, but it, it's always. But they fun. were both two zero, you know. Yeah, yeah, but it's fun to see it come down to, uh, you know, the 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 later courts. I guess I don't, I yeah. don't know. Yeah, once once Oregon had lost two of those the first four singles, it was it it it, it was do or die, right? Like if they had lost a third, that the fact that they had lost the doubles point meant that the, it was it was you know game over. Yeah, and it uh, didn't look pretty actually because you know one thing that I that I made notice the order that they finished their matches, mm-hmm. the the two losses were the first ones to finish. So like Nebraska sitting there like ah, we just won two, you know, we put away a third one, yeah. it's ours. So it was four straight do or dies four for Oregon. Straight, yeah, four and, straight wins. And Oregon yeah. did all four. All yeah. right. <laughs> that yeah. is pretty thrilling. And uh <laughs> and, and you know, and then later in the day, they're gonna go play they're gonna play Portland State. You know, like okay. We're, we're yeah. going to play another match today. And I don't know if they were, you know, tired and didn't want to go the distance or if they were just super pissed off, but they come out with the sweep. They, they play the singles and, you know, over and two, over and two. I mean, every single match was over and two. Oh, yeah. No, you're right. They, there's not a single one that, I mean, it's a, it was a 6 0 sweep and the, none of them even went to a third. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a third set. Um, yeah, they just straight up smoked the Vikes. Ah, the poor Vikes. Um, they get picked on a lot. Ah, uh, uh, So next up, uh, the 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 ladies head to uh, to 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 take on uh, Iowa and Iowa. Iowa State. Right. Iowa, I believe, is like number six or something like that in the nation. I don't oh remember. And then the men are going to take uh, are also hitting the road. They're going to take on Cal Poly in San Diego. Um, yes, in San Diego. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, let's take a break. Uh, we come back. We will uh, talk some football. So my uh, transfer series rolls on. Uh, the uh, last of the offensive skill players, Evan Stewart. Uh, he was uh, he was a five star uh, who was one of uh, Jimbo Fisher's big gets uh, for Texas A and M uh, back in 2022. Um, he uh, 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 he's about five eleven, but they used him as an outside receiver because he's got a pretty good vertical, um, and I think that's appropriate for for the way he would be used at Oregon. Like he's basically going to be the replacement for uh, Troy Franklin. And, you know, even though Troy Franklin's like, I don't know, three or four inches taller than him. Like, I don't really think that's going to be an issue. Like it, Stewart is a perfectly viable outside receiver. Um, and there's tons of clips in my article of him, like getting up vertical and beating cornerbacks because the other thing is he's super fast. I mean, just like, yeah. 
I mean, he just burns dudes off the line. I mean, I I I, I charted every snap that he took in 2022 and 2023, um, where he was like the most targeted receiver, the most productive receiver. And I mean, Texas A&M had a lot of good receivers, actually. I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. Um, and he wound up missing over the course of those two seasons. He wound up missing, I think, like seven or eight FBS games with like injuries of one kind or another which i'll talk about that in a second too um and uh uh so but despite that the fact that he you know he he didn't play the the you know the complete set of 24 or whatever games uh in those two years that he was at texas a&m he was still by far the most targeted receiver and had by far the most yards um of any of them um because uh, he's, I mean, he's just that good. Like, I mean, he's just elite. Like his route running is elite. His 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 footwork and speed. And I mean, describing the way in which a dude's route running is elite is, I mean, it's I I'm it's really challenging to do on a podcast. You're really going to have to read the article and, and watch the film clips because there's stuff like I I try to highlight some of the the things that are like it's really subtle but like there's one that I actually really liked putting in my article because it's in a normal like uh replacement value receivers hands it's it's just a little five yard hitch and the cornerback who's on him just immediately tackles him right after the catch. And it's five yards. Evan Stewart gets 14 yards because of the way he runs the route. Um, just all the little subtle kinds of manipulation. There's like three or four ways in which he's the way he's shifting his weight, the way he's signaling one way and then shifts the other. And it's all, it's super fluid and instinctual and it's just beautiful. And I, and, and the clip is excellent and I sort of narrate through it, um, you know, how he's taking a route that for anybody else would be five yards and he gets 14 while he's being tackled. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's clinic tape. Um, he burns receivers. I have a whole clip compilation of just of guys committing penalties against him. <laughs> Cause like, that's their only hope. <laughs> um, like, um, I, I, I've got a, you know, clip compilations of him just getting absolutely brutalized, um, and still holding on to the ball. I've got clip compilations in which the ball is totally off target and he goes and catches it anyway, you know, because his catch radius is enormous. Um, and you're like, well, I, I, like, I don't care that you threw an off target ball. Like I had to struggle to find bad clips for him, you know, like, you know, like I've got a ball where I've got a clip where like he drops it, except it's like you, you were fortunate enough to get like a reverse slow motion angle in which it's clear because the quarterback got hit that the ball is like rotating end over end. So when he goes to close his hands on the ball, the ball's not where it's supposed to be. And like, you can see his like eyes open wide and surprised, like, wait a minute, the ball's not, you know? And so it's like, it looks like a drop, but I mean, it's not really a drop. It's like, it was a screwball. Um, like that was the worst I could find on the guy, you know? And so it was like, so crazy that like my mentions were full of Texas A&M fans that were like, I'm real mad at Evan Stewart. And I'm like, 
y'all are being jerks. Like he did everything that he could. <laughs> he did, like and the, like this dude went so above and beyond. Like I was I was feeling guilty about some of the clips that I put in my article because I was like, this is torture porn. This is like like he was getting lit up so bad by because I mean that's the other half of the story. It's just like this offense wasn't good at all. Um, like the offensive line was terrible, which like you know there it i don't that's not a coincidence that that's the through line in you know between evan stewart dylan gabriel and uh and dante moore is that they have terrible offensive lines because like of course that means a very talented offensive skill player is not living up to his you know is not is not able to reach his full potential because that's what an offensive line lets skill players do you know, it gives them the protection for the quarterback to have the full set of reads and for the ball to be placed in the right position. And it, and if we were talking about a running back, no doubt the same thing. Hell, probably a better case for a running back, you know. Um, so, you know, and so there's just clips all over my article of like the, the quarterback is trying to throw this ball while he's like falling backwards, you know. Or, or there's this amazing clip where the quarterback is tr- is in the middle of being sacked by two guys from Alabama, and he sky hooks the ball, you know, like no joke, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar sky hook, like he's falling backwards and laterally, and he sky hooks the ball, and like two different Alabama defensive backs were supposed to intercept the ball, and Stewart just goes up and plucks it out of their hands for the catch, and he's just like, like. It's mind blowing what this kid is capable of. But you know what Jimbo Fisher does instead? He sends him on thousands of crossing routes, these stupid, like three yard crossing routes, which guess what? There's a clip compilation in my article of those two where he's just like dutifully going on these crossing routes in which the quarterback either doesn't throw it to him when he's supposed to or he does and then he gets destroyed like and it's just like i have no problem at all with evan stewart saying like i'm out of here like this is <laughs> like i don't i mean i can't I, I i don't know why he decided to i haven't interviewed him i haven't administered truth serum to him so i don't even know if he would tell me the truthful reasons if i did ask him but like if in his heart, his reason was, this is stupid. I'm sick of this. I'm out of here. I would be like, oh, I 100% agree. <laughs> like, you would be 100% right. <laughs> well, it'll be nice to, you know, to be catching balls from a quarterback that's not running from their life or falling backwards. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, it will also be nice to have other targets. <laughs> Yeah. Well, no, that one's not true. I actually went to 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 do some like serious work on that one. And, um, you know, because I charted all of Texas A&M's two seasons, you know, including the games that he didn't play in just, you know, to contextualize it. Um, Mm -hmm. And also because Texas A&M had three different quarterbacks over this period of time. Um, um, uh, Although one of them, Haynes King, wound up transferring out at the end of the 2022 season. But, you know, so we got to see like Haynes King and Max Johnson and Connor Wegman were all throwing passes to Evan Stewart over this period of time. And like I said, like all of them have decent arms, frankly, but like, first of all, none of them are really getting protection. Second of all, they're all playing in like kind of a goofball offense because Jimbo Fisher ugh. and he changes the offensive coordinator in the middle of it. Um 
and uh, you know, I sort of think the fact that they keep making the, you know, quarterback switches sort of like harms their development. And so there's decision-making problems. I put a whole clip compilation in my article about that too, where it's like, and that, that effect is not unique to Stewart, but because it was an article about Stewart, the, the clips that I chose for my article are all, that clip compilation is all about the quarterback is making the wrong decision on this play. He should have thrown the ball to Stewart. He's wide open and it would have gotten him a bunch of yards, but he doesn't, he throws to somebody else. And so boo that quarterback. Um, and so I wouldn't blame Stewart for wanting to go to a team where the quarterback would make the right decision. Um, but that phenomenon is not unique to Stewart. In fact, it was happening to like all the receivers. It's just, why would I put clips in this article about Evan Stewart about the other receivers that it was happening to? But I can tell you from charting all those games, it was happening to all the other receivers. There were four other guys that I classified as Texas A&M starting wide receivers. Um, Moose Muhammad, Anaya Smith, uh, Jade Walker, and... Um, Oh gosh, I'm blanking on the last one. Um, uh, 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 but anyway, the the those five guys um, that I classified as the starting wide receivers. Uh, Noah Thomas is the fifth one. Um, those five dudes: uh, uh, Stewart, Muhammad, Smith, Thomas, and Walker. Um, all of their stats are basically identical when, when you control for garbage time and, you know, all the stuff that I, I control for um, and do it on a per play basis. Um, uh, Cause you know, Stuart was getting way more than everybody else. But when you do it on a per play basis, like their per play success rate, their yards per target, their, um, their uh, uh, explosiveness rate per target, like they're all basically identical. So the idea, like what you just said, Kevin is wrong. Like uh, that. Uh, oh, he only had like one good dude to throw to that. It was Stewart or the quarterbacks only had one good dude to throw, dude to, throw to that. It was Stewart. That's wrong. Like that at, at any given time, usually had like three or four, you know, good guys to throw to. And they were all pretty much equally good. Um, uh, I mean, usually not on the same play, but like, you know, cause guys would be covered or whatever, but like, uh, you know, the, but but that was sort of an endemic problem that I also found was that like on only about half of Texas A&M's dropbacks would the quarterback target the good receivers. The other half of their dropbacks, they would target either backup wide receivers who suck or uh, running backs and tight ends who suck or something horrible would happen to the quarterback, which obviously bad things happen when horrible things happen to the quarterback. Uh, and so it's like, you know, Texas A&M's passing game is sort of like good things happen to them when they target, you know, half of the time when they target the good receivers of which Stewart is one. And then horrible things happen to them the other half of the time. And so that's why they weren't a very good offense. Um you know, but it's like a, a, the the real problem with Jimbo Fisher is that the dude is like the 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 most antiquated dude in the world. He's like the the enemy of analytics. And really, if I'm going to draw like a, a real comparison here, it's because like Dan Dan Lanning, king of analytics, right? You know oh, yeah. that, right? And, and Jimbo Fisher, like the the enemy of analytics. Like like if I had to draw, you know, a continuum. That those guys would be on the polar ends, right? Like you know, it's it, in in a way, it's it's 
totally poetic and perfect that Stewart would go from a team that's like has a bunch of talent but is underperforming because it's so analytically backwards and poorly informed to a team that is in many ways successful because it is so you know analytically sophisticated and well informed like yeah you know i I get it (laughs) like that that decision made sense um so that's cool uh uh, let's see what else to say about Stewart. Uh, I don't like, like I said, I didn't have any bad stuff to like everything that I found that was like bad. It was like, this is Texas A&M's fault. Like, unlike the article I wrote about Dante Moore, which was like, look, man, there's some bad stuff that was going on that, that was his fault. Like a lot of it was UCLA, but like, there's some stuff for Dante Moore to work on. Like, um, cause he was a true freshman, you know, and, and that's going to be the case. And, and I found some stuff about Dylan Gabriel too, cause you know, he's a quarterback, he's touching the ball, like on literally every play, inevitably you're going to find stuff that's, that's not working so great. And so, you know, you're, you're going to have stuff to say, man, I couldn't find anything about Stewart and he was playing as a true freshman. I was just like, I was, I wanted to put some negative stuff in. I, I you know, I did, uh, you know, the, the main thing is that he's five eleven, And so therefore, you know, he gets some pass breakups, you know, that kind of pass break up where he go he has to jump up into the air to catch the ball and then the defensive back hits him from behind real real hard you know spears him in the back with his shoulder and like and it folds him in half the you know backwards and he loses the ball that way like which guess what that happens to everybody you know only dudes who are like six foot eight and built like tight ends like juan johnson you know for oregon back in like 2019 like is maybe the only guy in the world who 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 could have hold on held on to balls like that um and like okay you know evan stewart's not juan johnson like that's the biggest knock that i've got on the guy (laughs) he's not juan johnson that's it like everything else just like God's film is good. It's so good. <laughs> like uh, it's just so good. Like I and everything about it is good. The route running is good. The catch radius is good. Like his toughness is good. That's the thing that really pissed me off about the Texas A&M fans who were chirping in my mentions. You know, just like oh, he wasn't living up to his potentials. Like, what did you want? He had Jimbo Fisher and this lousy guy. You know, it's like we're like, oh, he should have played hurt or some stupid thing like that. Is oh yeah, here let me talk about that. This dude took so much abuse. Like, I have absolutely no doubt, like, when he said, you know, like, hey, you know, I, I had some injuries and the staff didn't take it seriously. And that's why I was sitting out games and they got pissed off at me. And, like, this wasn't acceptable that, like, I have no doubt whatsoever that Stuart A is telling the truth about him getting hurt. Like I I watched him. I put a clip in my article of him taking this absolutely brutal hit from Auburn on a crossing route. I mean, it's just, it's nuts how bonkers this, this hit is. So then the next play, actually the next play was the quarterback screwing up and taking a delay game. But the play after that is another (laughs) useless crossing route. Thank you very much. Jimbo Fisher in which he gets annihilated again by two different dudes. And so he has to be helped off the field. Like he's limping and they have to help him off the field. He doesn't play for the rest of that game. It was like in the, I think the fourth quarter. So it's like he missed a couple of drives and then he doesn't play the next game, which was against UMass. So like, who cares? But then he comes back the next week, which was a meaningless game because Texas A&M was four and seven 
in that game. Meanwhile, LSU, in their conclusion, which because for some reason the SEC thinks that Texas A&M and LSU are rivals, so they make them play the 13th, you know, week 13 every year. Uh, so LSU is really good that year. They have a good defense that, that year. In 2022, they had a good defense. In 2023, they had a terrible defense, so don't get that mixed up. But in 2022, they had a good defense, and they were like a 9-2 and two team, right? Uh, Texas A&M, meanwhile, can't go to a bowl. It's a totally meaningless game. He had just, you know, missed like a game and a chunk of a game, you know, with his injury on stupid crossing routes that Jimbo Fisher keeps getting him lit up for. But he comes back and plays in any way, plays great. I put a bunch of clips from that LSU game in my article because he's playing great and it and helps Texas A&M upset that nine and two LSU team. I was so like, by the time I was done with this, or even like halfway done with watching the film, this project, I was so mad at those Texas A&M fans who were chirping at me and my mentions about like Texas, you know, Evan Stewart lacks effort and toughness. I was like, you, like you, you need to get out of here with that. Like, this is the toughest kid I've ever seen. Like, uh, yeah. And, and if there's something wrong with Texas A&M, it, it resides in Texas A&M and not Evan Stewart. Like, I don't believe that that anything's wrong with that Evan Stewart, even a little tiny bit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they don't, they don't watch their own team, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, fans are fans are fans. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I actually so, like there, there was a good guy. I was having a, a Texas and fan. I was having a conversation with, with Twitter over Twitter. Cause I tweeted out a, a particular stat about Evan Stewart early. And then I got the, the chirping happened. Uh, and, but then I had a conversation with a particular guy. And then when I, finally got my article written uh you know i sent it to him and said hey your discussion group might like this and so he sent it to his discussion group and then i checked out his discussion group and they were having a good discussion because i was just like that was that was gratifying uh so like i i i shouldn't I, i'm not i'm not trying to paint all texas a and fans a good brush uh, with a broad brush there are like all fan bases there are you know there there's white hats and black hats you know uh uh, uh, I'm just saying the, 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 uh, uh, let's hope few people who were being jerks about it were being jerks. Like, yeah. Yeah. So here's my question for you. Um, yeah. comparing Stewart's play style, his game to recent Oregon players, who's your comparison? Hmm. Um, Boy, that's I, I mean, in the, I think he's going to wind up having a season that is going to be similar to Troy Franklin's season, but physically, when you watch him play, he's not going to look like Troy Franklin. So that's not like his his production and the way that. Stein is going to use him, I think, is going to look like Troy Franklin. But when you watch him on the field, you're going to say that guy's that guy doesn't look like Troy Franklin. And so, like, it's going to sound crazy, crazy for me to have made that comp. Um, I think maybe the one that people would sort of, I don't know, maybe like immediately recognize. Um, you want me to tell you mine and see if you and you can D tell me how Dylan Mitchell, I, I think maybe like what do you think well see i i'm looking at his route running and the way he moves when he has the ball and i see braylon addison hmm 
Because Braylon mean, Edison caught everything that went his way, no matter where it was, and he was always a touchdown waiting to happen. That's an interesting one. I mean, it's it's kind of a throwback, but like, uh, I, I mean, I think that I think that Evan Stewart's a lot more talented than Braylon Addison. Um, oh no, no doubt. But I'm just trying to compare seeing that on the field from what I've seen in the past. So, yeah. Um. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with Dylan Mitchell. Um, although in many ways that's just because like that that like Dylan Mitchell was the master of that little dip move, you know, that, that comeback dip and out where he like, he'd really have you shook on, uh, uh, and like, I saw that a bunch of different times out of Stewart. I, I put, I just put one of them in my article, but I, I mean, it's there and it's, it's, it's that, that real mastery of, uh, of not just, not just route running, but post, catch route running where or sort of like during the catch so the the way that you the way that you throw off the dude who's covering you so that he's out of position so that when you dip you're dipping away from his direction of movement so that he's nowhere near you and there's a really absolutely be i believe it's against florida um in my article, which is in, it's an absolutely gorgeous clip. Cause it was originally, a, I, that, 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 that game I, I got in 4k. So even though it's downgraded to 720 for that gif, it looks absolutely beautiful. Um, uh, 4k seven or, uh, uh, one twenty FPS. Um, <laughs> the, uh, which like, if you haven't watched football in 4k 120, like, oh. anyway, um, uh yeah uh he 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 reminds me a lot of, of dylan mitchell in that um in that way just like the the really like the the way that he throws off coverage you know the, the way that he makes coverage look silly you know um which like oregon receivers did to you know like when they played usc <laughs> you know this year <laughs> uh, right you know but like evan stewart made made like everybody who was playing him look like USC. <laughs> um, so, that, so that was fun. Um, yeah, no, I, I don't know how much more I can say about the guy. Like I, like I said, like I really had a hard time finding anything like real negative about him. He was, he was, I mean, really the difficulty more than anything else was that like he was open all the damn time and Texas A&M wouldn't throw him the ball, which then gave me a lot to write about in my article in terms of like a statistical breakdown of like, here's what's wrong with Texas A&M's offense, which is why I think it was like, this article is really valuable to texas a&m fans they could see all the things wrong with their team from like an objective because like i don't care you know like i i, I it's not like i'm a texas fan you know like i, I don't i i'm I, I i don't love them or hate them you know i don't care um you know but like for an oregon fan like i you just need to watch the clips and be like oh that dude's super talented well good you know, <laughs> that's pretty much all you need to know. Uh, uh, it's the so uh, listener, if you have not read the article, like it's oh man, like oh man, <laughs> <laughs> some of the stuff that he's doing just sort of knocks your socks off. Um, and not that I think that Dylan Gabriel is going to be in a lot of trouble next year, but like 
simply because I had a lot of them. Like I put a bunch of clips in my article in which he's making his goofball quarterback who's in a lot of trouble look good. You know, like that throws off target. That's ball's not supposed to go there. Like he, you know, that, that, that he's not even in that pattern. Like, oh, well, I'll catch it anyway. Oh, the defense is completely brutalizing me and the refs aren't protecting me. Well, I'll hold on to the ball anyway. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it, yeah, there's, there's a lot of like jaw droppers. I mean, like in the in the article or in the clip compilation that's about uh, that's about uh, opponents sure uh, committed a lot of penalties uh, against Evan Stewart. There's a amazing one handed catch touchdown that I snuck in there um, in which the the flag is declined, you know, because it's it's a one handed catch because the cornerback is beat. And so he's grabbing his left arm or right arm. So he makes the catch one handed with his left arm in the corner of the end zone and gets both feet down. So it would be a catch on, you know, a touchdown on Sundays, like, and, and the penalty flag is declined. I'm just sort of snuck that in there. Oh, and then the next uh, clip that I snuck, I also snuck in like a old school wrestling reference, which like some people in a particular forum really were really liked. I apparently have some like, some old school wrestling uh, fans among my readership. You've got universal appeal. <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> anyway, like I said, if you haven't read the article, it's, it was, uh, it, it was, it was interesting for me to write because I got to do a lot of statistical analysis and I always like to do that, but it was also just fun to put all the clips in of just like fireworks. Cause Evan Stewart produces fireworks, man. Um, so check that out, man. All right. Anything else you want to add on this before we let her go? It's just going to be really fun to watch him in green and yellow. I did love also real quick that you, you captured a clip of him and future and new teammate Taishim Johnson squaring off from when Johnson was, uh, at Ole Miss. Where was, where was uh, it? that's right. He, he actually, he didn't ever really line up on the same side of the field that Taishim Johnson did. Um, the, uh, one of the clips of my article is like Stewart's on the other side of the field. The quarterback screws up because he keeps staring down the side of the field that Taishim Johnson has locked down and he should have thrown it to Stewart because it ain't man it's zone and the the zone beater is Stewart's route which the quarterback doesn't figure out and so he takes a sack uh Mm -hmm. um he also uh interestingly goes up against cam alexander while he was at sam houston um in 2022 um sam houston was an fcs team at that time um but uh uh cam alexander had a pretty good game against texas a&m um he got an interception and he helped on he doesn't get he he got an interception in that game he wasn't covering evan stewart on that play um but he a teammate of his gets an interception on a pass that was thrown targeting evan stewart uh uh that's zone coverage 
um, in which Alexander, I mean, he doesn't get the interception, but he's contributing to it with his good zone coverage. So it's like, give him partial credit. You know how like they give somebody half a sack when they're, you know, it's like, give him half an interception on that one. Um, and that was, so it's like, I, I like to say that like he helped pick off, you know, his future teammates. So that was, that was interesting. Um, he also faced off against Jordan Birch. Um, I mean, not directly because Jordan Birch is a, you know, defensive lineman. He's a <laughs> I, I think he smoked lineman. Jordan Birch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Or if he tried to block Jordan Birch, I think Jordan Birch would break him in half, but like, yeah. Um, yeah. So that, you know, it's it, always interesting when future teammates wind up seeing, you know, that uh, I get, I get to uh, see those guys. There's actually a bunch of them like, um, you know, uh, a Kansas State and Houston played. Um, Will Stein got to see Jamari Caldwell. Um, uh, Texas Tech got to see Jamari Caldwell. So I already had that game charted. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of different confluences. Um, it saves uh, you time on your film study. It yes, it does. <laughs> it it does indeed. Um, uh, you know the other interesting thing I, I got to say about like Texas A and M. Uh, that I noticed w while I was doing this is that like, I, 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 I promised a couple of weeks ago that I, I would, I think it was while I was talking to you about Dylan Gabriel, that like why I sort of liked Brent Venables, it was that like when good stuff happened for Oklahoma, Brent Venables was celebrating it and he was celebrating with like all the dudes and he was like running out in the field and jumping and happy with dudes. Like, and when dudes did something extraordinary, he would celebrate the dude who did something extraordinary, not like just the quarterback. Um, and, and then I went and watched, and, and so it's like, I kind of liked Brent Venables, maybe because he reminded me of Dan Lanning, you know, because like, I, I really like Dan Lanning, who's like, he's a young guy and he's voluble and he's expressive. And I like, I, I like that he, he's an affectionate guy and like he shows his affection. And I like that. And like, you know what I didn't like when I turned on the next couple weeks worth of tape was watching Chip Kelly, um, you know, being all cerebral and grumpy on the sideline. Um, and, and then I watched Jimbo Fisher, who I just didn't like watching on the sideline at all. And like whenever like a quarterback would make, you know, pass and, and like Evan Stewart would do something amazing. Like, like I, Okay, I know how to differentiate a normal pass, amazing catch from an amazing pass, normal catch. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Right. Like, like tell there when some... it was the receiver versus the quarterback. Yeah. The, the, you know, when the, the, when the quarterback did something above and beyond to, to make the ball an easy catch for the wide receiver. So the attaboy belongs to the quarterback versus that was a pretty standard throw, but he put the ball into danger and the receiver really had to do the work, you know, in order to bail him out. Like I know how to differentiate those. And the person that Fisher and the coaching staff would always like go and congratulate was always the quarterback. Like Fisher was all, like the only dude that he cared about on the team was the quarterback. And like Evan Stewart, every single time he made an amazing play or did, you know, hung on to some ball after getting leveled, like, he was always sitting alone. Like, like nobody, like I, I didn't see Fisher or his coaches. Like, like, you know, there was, there was like, there was something wrong with the locker room and that team. Like, 
there was no like affection and joy like and i don't know if this is just like i like watching dan lanning you know and, and, and i like watching the ducks and i like how it seems like a team of guys who like each other um and enjoy playing for one another but like man i could see i could see where ucla was a problematic team and i could see where texas a&m was a problematic team um and i could see why guys wanted off um and i can also see why you know guys like playing for dan Lanning. oh yeah well, and I, I've not seen a clip of it on online anywhere, but I saw it live because I was at the game. I watched Dan Lanning get absolutely crushed by, I want to say it was Jordan Birch coming <laughs> off the field. Like Lanning jumped up for like the shoulder bump and Birch obliged and just cleared him out. <laughs> <laughs> well, T- Tosh Lapoy was telling a story about one of his defensive line recruits, I think. Aiden I think Breland, he- wasn't it? Yeah, Aiden Breeland <laughs> like his ribs. cracked his ribs, and so he was coaching the entire season with cracked ribs, or like two thirds of the season with cracked rib. Yeah, because he recruited too hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I have a I have a real hard time believing that Jimbo Fisher has ever gotten uh, you know, a, a, a too enthusiastic hug from any of his players. You know, I have a real hard time believing that. I have a real hard time believing that Chip Kelly's ever gotten a too enthusiastic hug from any of his players. Um, yeah. And, um, and, and so, you know, while I said, you know, at the beginning of this segment that like, I, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that, that you, you're seeing, um, you know, offensive skill players want to come play for Oregon because Oregon has, uh, you know, an offensive line advantage and that as long as Oregon continues to invest in and maintain its excellent offensive line play, that they'll always have sort of a trump card in the transfer portal market. Like, hey, did you feel like your star was dimmed at your old school because the, you know, poor offensive line play there meant that the, the offense was operating at less than peak efficiency like come to oregon you know where it's going to be operating at peak efficiency and you're going to be able to show off to nfl scouts and everybody else you know what you can really do um i think another big selling point you know that oregon has is like they're not joking when they say you know this is a family this is affectionate you you know you're going to be loved and accepted and celebrated like you know, like, I, I really do feel like that's for real. And I'm sorry if that sounds corny and I'm sorry if that sounds made up. Like I watch a lot of film and, and it in it also involves watching the sidelines. It, you know, I'm just watching too much film to miss that stuff, to miss the body language, to miss the celebrations, to what, to miss, you know, all that stuff. Like, and it's, I mean, it's impossible to avoid some of the comparisons and, and seeing guys where it's like, yeah, I can tell, I can tell when, when, uh, when it, uh, guys just look like they're unhappy on their old team. And like, I've, you know, I sure hope, I, I sure hope that Evan Stewart is happy on his new team. I hope he will be. Uh, it, I think he will, you know, based on previous track record. He's just got to get used to the weather. <laughs> uh, well, it, uh, uh, you know, e- East Texas is not a desert. Uh, it does rain a little bit there, but it never rains on this podcast. 